0: Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And from Luke 24, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground and said, But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen.
1: Thank you, Krista. So we have been in a seven-week series concluding today on the covenant. Why in the world is the covenant so important? I read a study a number of years back that over 90% of Americans would desire to improve their relationship with God, which is why the covenant is so very important. Because in the Bible, in the Bible, every single time, every single time that God enters into a relationship with somebody, it is always done on the basis of a covenant, a contract with God, a covenant with God, every single time. So if you want to enter a relationship with God or you want to improve your relationship with God, you have to look to the terms of the covenant in order to figure out how to do that. The covenant is the basis for all that to happen. And so today, we're going to talk about probably the most important aspect of the covenant And it happens to deal all with Easter and substitution. Have you ever wanted to sub yourself out of some part of your life? Have you ever gone through maybe an embarrassing moment Maybe a silly moment, maybe a hurtful moment, and you thought to yourself, wow, I would have loved to sub myself out of that moment. When I was in college, I played on the basketball team, and our coach always told us, when you're on the court and you're getting tired, look, throw your hand up and say, you know, that'll be the sign to me to get you out that you want to sub.'" How many times have you had in your life? You say, "You know what? I would have loved to been able to throw my hand up and sub myself out of some uh, ridiculous situation or hurtful situation that I was going through." I was remembering recently I was uh, went to Bush Gardens when I was in middle school. In middle school, grant you, and I went to Bush Gardens and I was there with a group of people, and for some reason we went to the square dance uh, show. I've Weird. I have no idea. Why did we end up at the square dance? I, I don't know. Because as a middle schooler, all I wanted to do was ride the rides. But for some reason, must have been some adult with us. But for some reason, we ended up at this square dance thing. And uh, I'm sitting there. You know, just enjoying the show, right? Then they're enjoying the show. And what I didn't know is when it came for that participation time where they dragged somebody up on the stage, that everybody behind me was standing up and pointing, yeah, this guy, this guy, hold on. And you know, I was really shy. It's the last thing I wanted. And so here she comes. Here comes this lady down and she grabs me and she pulls me up on the stage and we start doing this square dance. Uh, she's trying to teach me to do square dance. Well, I can't dance anyway in square dance. I mean, what is that? So, uh, she's, she's showing me and there's a part in the dance deal where, you know, the man is to bow and, and, and she curtsies, right? She curtsies. So she does it. She curtsies. And what I do is I curtsy back, right? (laughs) I'm in, I'm in middle school, right? And so I didn't catch it the first time. Like, so I curtsied and I just all freaked out. And so, you know, she continues on the routine and then she curtsies again and I curtsy again right back to her this is like social Armageddon for a middle schooler. Can you imagine the heat that I took for that situation? Uh, four weeks ago or so, I had all four of my wisdom teeth taken out. They told me to be a piece of cake. So they got to the fourth, the th- third tooth. They got to the third tooth and they went in with the pliers and they started to pull. Well, they didn't hit me with enough Novocaine because I could like feel almost everything. And I, my hand went straight up man sub me sub me out of this situation immediately a number of years ago when my daughter i think she was about 8 years old we had this huge swing in our backyard and man that thing would take you 25 30 feet up in the air and uh, my wife would always stand on the deck and say be careful you know not too high and one day uh, gracie well, she's like way up she's way up there she slips off the swing and she, she, here's the good news. She held on, right? So she slips off the swing, but she holds on. Man, my heart just completely stopped. Well, I wouldn't have wanted to sub out of that moment. I would have wanted that moment to never happen. Here's what I would have wanted to sub out. The wrath that took place for the next eight years of my life. That would have been nice to, to sub out. You're talking about subbing out. Would you ever like to sub in for anybody? Can you think of anybody here this morning saying, you know, I'd love to sub in. For that person, just think about that a second. Could sub in for some, you know? If somebody asked me, who would you want to sub in for? There's, it's, it's easy. It's easy. I'd love to sub in for my wife's dog, right? <laughs> would it be? Would it be? How awesome would it be to never do anything right yet be treated like you did nothing wrong? <laughs> what, what, what would that be like? Now, seriously, I want you to think about this for a second, everybody. This morning, just so, I want you to reflect. What if you could sub out? of a difficult moment in your life. Now, those are some silly and funny things, but what about the serious stuff, right? What about maybe a horrific experience that you went through? Maybe a really painful experience? Maybe some kind of abuse involved in some way? These very, very difficult things. And it would be wonderful if we could sub out of them. Hebrews 9.27, that was just read, says basically it's appointed for man wants to die and then face judgment, So, the thing is, everybody, is that these painful memories, as very difficult as they are, as very difficult as they are, they come and go. But judgment lasts forever. You might say, well, what does that judgment look like, John? God gives us this clear picture in the scriptures of exactly what judgment looks like it's Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. So, you ever wondered, well, if I'm ever to face judgment and, you know, I'm found guilty, what does it look like? It looks like the humiliation and the beating and the pain that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. That's what it's going to look like. God's giving us that picture of that. But the incredible thing about Easter, the most incredible thing about Easter, is that Jesus Christ offers to sub in for us. And we sub out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today is a really special day. It is the grandest day in the Christian year, Easter. We celebrate the resurrection and everything that you've done for us. Lord, each one of us, we've lived our own lives, we've experienced all kinds of stuff, we have different beliefs and thoughts that we bring into this room this morning. God, would you speak to each one of us personally something that we need to hear, in your opinion, something that we need to hear and help us to respond In the way that you would have us to. In Christ's name. Amen. All right. Hebrews 9 14 was read just a few moments ago, and it says, The blood of Christ cleanses our consciences. In the book of Hebrews, that word conscience is brought up more than any other time in the Bible. And the word conscience basically means how fit do you feel to be in the presence of God? Maybe you've known what it's like to say, you know what, I could never let him see me like this. I could never let her see me like this. I could never go to work. And I can never be seen in public like this. The word conscience fits that, except for the fact of, do you feel fit to be in the presence of God? And what cleanses you to be in the presence of God? Blood. We're told blood. Hebrews 9 12 says it this way He did not enter, speaking of Jesus Christ, by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You know what? Easter time, there's a lot of talk about blood. A lot of talk about blood. Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You might say, hey, on the surface, you might say, hey, John. Um, that's kind of exactly what we don't need in our world. We don't need another religion of blood, death, and violence. I mean, don't we have enough of that going on? I mean, we could kind of use a religion of peace. That would be very helpful. Why, why, why do we need blood? What does blood mean in the Bible? What does it represent? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. There's a famous hymn. A lot of times it's sung at Easter, and it's called There's Power in the Blood. I want to read you the words. Would you be free from the burden of sin? Would you or evil a victory win? Would you be free from your passion and pride? Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. Would you do service for Jesus your king? Would you live daily his praises to sing? And then the chorus. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. What? What? Does the blood represent in the scriptures? Three things I want to talk to you about this morning. All of them very, very important. The first one is guilt. Blood in the scriptures represents guilt. We, we say this today. When somebody's guilty, you say, their blood is on your hands. There you go. Their blood is on your hands. See the thing about guilt, everybody? As much as we've talked about it, there's been written about guilt, talked about guilt, spoken about guilt, all of these things that go on about guilt that you shouldn't feel guilty. Don't allow somebody else to impose their morals on you and make you feel guilty. You do what is right for yourself. You do what is right for yourself. And forget all the guilt. And you know, as much as we talk about that, we say, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. We still feel guilty. Like at record numbers, our world, according to studies, people are not getting rid of their guilt. Like all the talking can't make the guilt go away. All the saying to myself, hey, yeah, I don't need to listen to somebody else. I'll decide what's right for me, but I still feel guilty. What's up with that? That guilt won't go away. We can't talk it away. The guilt is there. Blood represents, represents guilt. People say you need to make your own decisions, what's right and wrong for you. You ever wondered? We didn't stop on this when we went through this series, when we were in the garden about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You ever wondered about that? What in the world is up with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God says, That's my tree. Don't eat its fruit. What does it represent? What is that tree? The tree is God decides what's good and what's evil. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they were saying, We will decide what is right or wrong. We will decide what's good and evil. And every time that we make that decision, we say, Hey God, I don't need your input. I will decide what's right and wrong for myself. We eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with it brings a certain amount of guilt. So they ate from the tree and what happened? They were guilty and they were shamed. And immediately they went into hiding because they were so ashamed of what they had done. And then you get what, what happens immediately after? What does God do? The first blood sacrifice God sacrifices an animal to make skin, to take the skin and create clothing to cover their guilt and their shame. Shortly after that, Cain murders his brother Abel. And God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Blood represents guilt in the Bible. Guilt. It says in Hebrews 10, these words, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, sprinkled with what, everybody? What's being talked about here is being sprinkled with blood, having our hearts sprinkled with blood to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Blood represents guilt, but it also is the means that eliminates our guilt. How could that be? How could that be that blood would be both guilt and take away our guilt? We'll get to that in just a moment. Here's the second thing that blood represents in the Bible is the first thing is guilt. And the second thing it represents is a total commitment. A total commitment. We've talked about this so much uh, recently, but when they entered into a contract back then, and I'm not talking about just in the Bible. I'm talking about in that culture, in that world, right, all the way up to the time of Jesus Christ when people entered into a covenant or a contract. Here's how they signed their contracts. When you sign a contract, you go to maybe a law office and you get out a pen and a contract's put before you and you sign it. Or maybe you're getting ready to buy a car or a house or something like that. Maybe you get last-minute jitters like, oh, man, should I sign this thing, right? Well, this is the way they signed their contracts. They took an animal. They cut the animal down the middle. There was blood everywhere. They took animals in two halves. And the way they signed it, like you signing it, is they walked in a figure-eight pattern, the two people entering the contract with each other. They walked. They demonstrated it. They walked in a figure-eight pattern. The pattern ended up looking like that, like, like wedding rings together, right? And that's what it looked like. And so when they got ready to do that, that was a very big moment. And what they had to think about is this. I mean, there's blood everywhere. The animals have been separated. They said, you know what? If I don't fulfill the terms of this contract, what they were saying is, may my life be like this animal. Well, that's serious, right? I mean, you want to buy a car like that? This is serious. May my life be like this animal. It represents a total commitment. If you're going to begin that step, if you're going to begin to sign that contract, step into it, well, you really have to know that you're completely All into this. We've talked a lot about a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. And now, everybody, this is really, really important. There's nothing wrong with consumer relationships. You go to a coffee shop. You get great coffee at a great price, and you get great service, and you're very, very happy. And you should be happy. That's awesome. And then you find better coffee at a better price and a better service, and then where do you go? You go to the new place. Exactly. You go to the new place, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Consumer relationships are not offered in the Bible. Here's this. This is where it becomes super, super important because I hear this all the time. And I even have thought it myself in the past. I think of myself and I hear people say, you know what, I'll give church a try or I'll give Jesus a try. And if it works for me, great. But if it doesn't work for me, I'll just move on. Well, according to the Bible, the only kind of relationship that we can have with God is a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. And so there, if we enter into that relationship that way, I'll give it a try. It's 100% guaranteed not to work. And then we say to ourselves, you know, I read in the Bible about these powerful relationships with God and meaning and fulfillment and all this, and I'm not having that. I don't have that. I look at other people and I see they don't have it either. What gives? It's not working for me. I'm out of here. Well, here's why it's not working because it's guaranteed not to work. It won't work. It can't work because you can't have a consumer relationship with God. You can't test drive. Jesus You can't test drive him. Either all in or not. It's a hundred percent commitment or not. And that's what the covenant is. When you went to sign it, when you went to walk, you're saying, I'm totally committed. That's what the blood represents to us. Now. What I want to suggest to you today is that what's holding the whole world together is a covenant. What I want to suggest to you today, the things that we love the most about our world, the things that move us the most, that touch us the most, the things that are solid in this world are covenant relationships, not consumer relationships. I want to suggest to you today that our deepest desire in our hearts is God is pulling us towards a covenant relationship, and it's all around us. It's all around us. Ben's going to run a song for us. And if you know this song, if you know the title of this song, that's been like at the top of the billboards for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, I need you to, maybe just to shout it out, right? So crank it up. What it was that song? How much of me? All of, no, 90%. 90 this is an awesome song. It's called 90% of me. It's, very, it's a very moving song. It moves us deeply. Right. So we're going to we're going to play this song, the instrumental of it. I just want to read you the words. Okay, this is what it says. How many times do I have to tell you, even when you're crying, you're beautiful, too. The world is beating you down. Check this out. Ready for this? I'm around through every mood. You're my downfall. You're my muse, my worst distraction, my rhythm and blues. I can't stop singing. It's ringing in my head for you. Because all of me loves all of you. All your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Because I give you all of me. And you give me all of you. Now let's go back here for a second. And let's let's think about that mood section. where, Where it's sung. I'm around through every mood. Well, what if he writes... You know what? I'm around. But when you get that mood going, baby, I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? What if he said that? Oh man, that's that's very touching. <laughs> it moves me so deeply. How about this? Because all of me loves all of you. How about some of me loves some of you? Let's test drive this thing out, baby. I want to give you a try. Alright? Does that work? Give me all of you. Give me some of you. I'll give you some of me. Why isn't that song at the top of the charts? Why can't it be good? some of me, some of me? No, it's called all of me. Why is that, everybody? We can argue, we can fight, we can talk about total commitment, we can talk not, but we just go round and round and round and round and round. What moves you so deeply, what moves the world so deeply are covenants. 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 You want to experience a life Changing relationship with God—it is always on the basis of a covenant. There's no other way. There's no test drive. There's no in between. There's no half covenant. It doesn't exist. You're better off stop banging your head against a wall trying to figure out how to have this amazing relationship with God. God tells us, and the world tells us around us is all of me, all of me. That's what moves us. That is our deepest desire. So, blood represents guilt. Blood represents a total commitment. And finally, blood represents substitution. Substitution. One life for another life. The blood of Jesus Christ does not communicate life to us. What the blood of Jesus Christ represents is Jesus Christ is saying, I will substitute my life for yours. Think about this, everybody. Jesus Christ here has a perfect relationship with God. He enters into a contract with the Father and he fulfills every single line of the agreement perfectly. He does everything to perfection. The Bible says he's the only one that's ever done it. Here we are over here. If we enter into a covenant, a contract with God, even though we should give our best and try our best, the Bible tells us that nobody, even though we should give our best to do it, nobody's ever been able to do it. Jesus Christ has the blessing of the covenant. The blessing is always relational, which means he has a perfect relationship with the Father. The curse of the covenant is always the same, a broken relationship with the Father. And what Jesus Christ says is, he says, I will take your cursed relationship with the Father. So what does that mean for us? We get to have the blessing of his perfect relationship with the Father. You ever wanted to be a VIP? You ever want to be a really special person? You ever see somebody? Oh, man, they're the person, they're the cool person, they're the person I know that's awesome. I want you to think about a second. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this awesome relationship he has with the Father. I want you to think about the fact that he is in the throne room of the Father, and he and the Father are completely in sync with no barriers between the two of them. And Jesus Christ says, You know what? I'm going to take your broken relationship, your utterly broken relationship, and I'm going to give you my perfect relationship. That's substitution. That's what it means when the Bible says in Galatians 3 that Jesus Christ became a curse. Not he wasn't cursed. He became a curse. He took our broken relationship that we might have a perfect relationship with the Father. Isaiah 53, classic Easter, classic Easter uh, scripture verses. Talks all about substitution. Listen to it. Surely he took whose pain? Our pain. And he bore whose suffering? Our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for whose transgressions? Ours. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought who peace? Us peace was on him. He was punished. We got the blessing. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us, each of us has turned. To our own way and the Lord has laid on him what the iniquity of us all it is a substitution I want to conclude this morning with two stories both involving Abraham why Abraham on Easter because he is the father of the faithful. He's the father of everybody who has a relationship with God. In other words, what the scripture is saying is you want to figure out how to have a relationship with God, a meaningful, a profound, a life-changing, powerful relationship with God? Look no farther than Abraham and the covenant that he entered in with God. And what you see in that relationship is substitution, the substitution of God on our behalf and what God does. So Genesis chapter 15, here's what happens. This is this is not confusing at all, so don't get, don't, don't get lost in this. It's quite simple. When God says to Abraham, let's enter a covenant. God says, let's enter into a covenant. I want you to go get a heifer, and you're going to cut it in half. That's the way they always did it. That's the way you signed a contract. So you split it down the middle. you got animal on this side. you got the other half of the animal on this side. There's blood all over the place. And now there they are, and they're getting ready to enter into the covenant. So you got Abraham, and you got God the Father. And they're getting ready to sign the covenant, which means they're getting ready to walk through the pieces together. That means they're signing the covenant. They're sealing the deal. And so as they get ready to do that, we're told in the Scripture that something very interesting takes place. We're told that a smoking fire pot show up on the scene and a blazing torch. Well, in the Scripture, God the Father is seen as fire. We're told that a smoking fire pot shows up and a blazing torch. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is pictured as a blazing torch. And the father is about ready to enter into a covenant with Abraham. And what it seems to me that happens is the blazing torch walks up to Abraham and taps him on the shoulder and says, you sit this one out. Because the next thing we're told is that Abraham goes to sleep. During the most important moment of his life. And here he is sleeping. And then we're told that the smoking fire pot, the fire, the father, and the blazing torch, Jesus, passed through the pieces together. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Abraham, you need need to enter into this covenant with the father. But the reality is, is you will never be able to fulfill the terms of the covenant. And the only person that could possibly do it is the son, Jesus Christ. And so you sit this one out. I'm going to enter in it for you. And when you make a mistake, and you will. And the curses fall on you. Let them fall on me. God is saying, I will curse myself because I love you so much. Wow. That is amazing. Now. Thursday this past Thursday Monday Thursday for those of you who are traditional enough to know what that means that's when Jesus Christ celebrated the communion the first communion service with the disciples in the upper room and then he goes to the garden right he's there in the garden he's coming completely unglued like he's coming completely unglued we've always seen him composed and all of a sudden Jesus is like hey look father if I can get if there's any way to do this some other way let's do that but nonetheless your will be done and then what does the scripture tell us says he's he's bleeding sweating great drops of blood he's bleeding now i've heard all kinds of things said about jesus bleeding there like he was under severe stress severe stress and his heart was just bursting he had some kind of medical condition we're trying to figure it out but but when you understand that the entire bible is about a covenant all of a sudden you begin to read the bible in a different way don't you And when you see blood in the Bible, you immediately begin to think of covenant. You know that a covenant is being cut. You know that a covenant is being cut. So here, Jesus Christ, right? You got Abraham. There's blood everywhere. Now you fast forward and you have Jesus Christ and he's bleeding. Abraham is sleeping. What are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ, everybody. The entire Bible is about the substitution of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And as Abraham sleeps, the disciples sleep, and Jesus Christ enters into the covenant with the Father. One other story. Abraham and Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. God says specifically, specifically to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And you're thinking, man, my goodness, are you serious? Why in the world does God give us this story, everybody? I'd like you to sacrifice your son. Why would God give us this story? Why would God go to these lengths? God specifically says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son Isaac, to the region, specifically the region of Moriah. By the way, the region of Moriah was a 3 days journey. Isn't that interesting? I want you to take him to Moriah. They get to Moriah. They're there after three days. They're at the base of the mountain, and we're told this specifically that Abraham, the father, places the wood upon his son, Isaac. In Hebrew, the word for wood and tree are the same, just so you know. He places the wood on Isaac, and Isaac marches up the mountain with the wood, the tree, on him. They get up there. Isaac says, well, I see the wood, and I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide and Abraham binds his son and puts him on the altar and raises the knife. Think about this. Raises, why, God, why are you telling us this? Why are you asking this to be done? Raises the knife. And God stops him in that moment. And he says, don't, don't strike the boy. Don't kill him. And then God showed him a ram that was caught in the thorns around his horns fast forward there's a Mount Moriah in Jerusalem nobody's 100% sure where Jesus Christ was crucified but there is a Mount Moriah in Jerusalem and we're told that Jesus Christ put the wood the tree on him and he carried the wood the tree like Isaac up the mount and as he carried it up, his head had what on it? a crown of thorns. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. And it's about his substitution. His substitution for you and me because he loves us so much. That he over and over and over again tells us a story. Hey, everybody. A blood sacrifice to appease the wrath of a God is nothing new, is it? It's nothing new. Just about every culture, but about every almost, well... Lots of religions talk about blood to appease the wrath of some God. This is nothing new. But one thing. You have never heard the story of a God saying, I require blood to appease my wrath. And so I will give my own blood because I love you that much. That story has never been told. That story has never been told. Never do you see a God that loves you that much. that says, I'll give my own blood. I'll give my own blood for you. So you don't have to suffer wrath. You'll never find that story anywhere. It's not told. It's not heard. That's completely unheard of that. A God would love you that much. He said, I will give my own blood for you. You know, when Galatians says that God, Jesus Christ became a curse, that's very strong language in the Greek. Ext- extremely strong language. And we won't get into all that right now. But it's always made me wonder That verse and also where it says Jesus Christ became a sin and Jesus Christ became a curse. It sounds really permanent to me. And it's always made me wonder this. Will we one day find out that in some way Jesus Christ was permanently affected by him becoming a substitution for us? Was this a much bigger deal that what Jesus Christ did for us than what we could ever imagine? Will we one day find that out? Some of you have heard of the movie called Life of Pi or you've read the book. It won a number of Oscars. Got a lot of attention. It is about a young man. He's Hindu. And he's searching the religions of the world, trying to figure things out. And he has a conversation with a priest by the name of Father Martin. It's quite powerful. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. I want to read this to you because it's very, very insightful. Here's what it says. That a God should put up with adversity, I could understand. The gods of Hinduism face their fair share of thieves, bullies, kidnappers, and usurpers. What is the Ramayana but the account of one long, bad day for Rama? Adversity, yes. Reversals of fortune, yes. Treachery, yes. But humiliation, death. I couldn't imagine Lord Krishna consenting to being stripped, naked, whipped, mocked, dragged through the streets... And to top it off crucified and at the hands of mere humans to boot. I never heard of a Hindu god dying. Brahman revealed did not go for death. Devils and monsters did as did mortals by the thousands and millions. That's what they were there for. Matter too fell away. But divinity, divinity should not be blighted by death. It's wrong. The world's soul cannot die even in one contained part of it. It was wrong of this Christian God to let his avatar die. That is tantamount to letting a part of himself die. For if the Son is to die, it cannot be fake. If God on the cross is God shamming a human tragedy, it turns the passion of Christ into the farce of Christ. The death of the Son must be real. Father Martin assured me that it was. But once a dead god always a dead god even resurrected the son must have the taste of death forever in his mouth the trinity must be tainted by it there must be a certain stench at the right hand of god the father the horror must be real why would god wish that upon himself why not leave death to mortals why not make why make dirty what is beautiful spoil what is perfect? Love. Love was Father Martin's answer. Can, can you imagine, everybody? Can you imagine love like that? There's never, there, there's, there's no story in the world like this, everybody. This is a story to itself that God would love us that much that He would kill Himself. That God would love us that much that he would allow himself to be cursed. To sub in for us and to take our place. There's no other story like that in the world. I would imagine one day that we will find out that God loved us far more than we ever could have imagined. To be our substitute. A covenant is a contract. It's It's a legal contract. You don't don't get into a contract unless you sign it. We just rented a a beach house for ourselves for the summer. We sent the deposit in. They emailed us. They said, you never sent us the rental agreement. You got till 5 o'clock or it's it's gone. I said, what do you mean? Sent you the deposit. We don't care. We don't have a signed agreement from you. It's gone. 5 o'clock. Take it or leave it. We don't get to experience all the blessings of this contract that God presents us and puts on the table unless we sign the contract and enter into this agreement. And it's the most amazing offer that we will ever be offered. And it's all because of love. Love like we've never known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord. Your love for us um hard to grasp, hard to grasp. I uh, fear that one day Jesus, all of us are going to find out that what you did for us was way beyond what we ever thought. That how it affected your life was far more permanent than what we had ever thought, that your love is so deep. Lord, help us not to walk away from this moment and treat it as something light to not give the weight to this moment that you have presented us with. Help us, Lord, to see the fullness of your love in what you are offering us today and help us to respond in the way that we should respond. Everyone, just in an attitude of prayer. Let's just take the next 30 seconds and just reflect on God's love and reflect on how you feel that God would have you to respond to what he has placed before you Lord, I want to pray your blessing over each person here and their journey that they have with you. Lord, help each one of us to come to the knowledge of your love and to respond in the way that each one of us needs to respond to you today. We thank you, Lord, for what this day represents. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Everyone, I want to wish you a very happy Easter. I want to remind you our prayer team is over there. If anybody would like prayer, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11
0: a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.